mothers, those of you that are naturally, biologically mothers, and those spiritually, happy Mother's Day. And since half the congregation isn't here, I'll say it again later. But good morning, everybody. So this morning, I want to start off by reading a, a, a scripture here, and then um, Jay and Lori are going to be playing, and we're just immediately just open up the mics. Let's do some praying, what we hear from the Spirit of God this morning. I want to read out of John 2, and perhaps later um, we'll talk about it again. And this is Jesus' first miracle. The miracle at the, at the wedding. And it says in verse 1 of John chapter 2, on the third day there was a wedding. There's nothing by accident in the Scripture. Every word, every letter, every jot and tittle is on purpose. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, did I already say that? And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six, count them, six, stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Lord, we thank you for your word. That every jot and tittle, every word is on purpose. It's purposeful, intentional, has meaning. And I pray that our minds would be focused on you this morning and what you are speaking, what you are saying, what you are doing. That we may join with you, partner with you to accomplish your will for this hour, for this time, this morning. And God, I pray, bless, bless our mothers, bless our moms, our families. Father, I pray for the restoration of our families and our nation and the rightful place of fathers and mothers and children. 
the way that you have designed it to function. Father, I pray that your kingdom come and your will be done. And begin here in us, in our hearts, in our families, our relationships, our congregation. Give us your words to pray, to prophesy, and decree. The scriptures that you would highlight to us this morning. Thank you for your blessing, Father. Blessing of your presence. The blessings of being with you. The privilege and honor of being your children, your sons and daughters. In the house of God, the family of God. Your goodness is running after, running 
Shall we give thanks to the Lord for He is good. He is faithful and His love endures forever. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. goodness and his holiness he will make himself known in the sight of many nations and then they will know that he is the Lord I lift you higher. 
to the earth, and He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Oh, no, no, I can't get enough of your unfailing love. No, no, I can't get enough. No, no, I can't get enough. No. Father, for your word over Kansas City, for your word over independence, that you are opening eyes, you are opening ears, you are opening hearts to receive you, to receive your love.
we can't get enough. you first loved us. Yes. We love you, Jesus. We can't get enough of your love. More, God. Papa, we ask you for more. Reveal more of your love for us, O oh God. Help us, O oh God. We yield to you this morning, God. Yes. We yield to your Holy Spirit's working. We yield to you, God. We bow this to you. We say you are Lord. Yes. We worship you this morning, God. We worship you, God. We take our hearts. And we bend them to you, God. Yes. This morning, Jesus. We worship you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. thank God this morning for for Joe and his wife Renee for their willingness to say yes to you and to allow and to create a place, an atmosphere and to allow you to build your body the way you want it to be built and to express Lord the way you want to express yourself, God. We are multi-membered body. Each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has a wonderful purpose to function as a unit. So we praise and thank you for this house, O oh God, this place where we can gather together and hear your words of life and then encourage one another and pray for one another. Just pray for one another that we would grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you've given us your word. We thank you, God, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit that 
leads us and guides us into the truth. You just help us, oh God. You just help us, oh God. So this morning we come together, God, as a as a unit. And we want to pray for your purposes in the earth. We want to pray your heart, oh God. We want to be intercessors. We want to be voices. We want to be encouragers and life givers. We want to go about doing your heart, your will, Papa, doing your business. We want to do, we want to be about your business. So, we've been uh, praying, maybe some of you don't even know it as a group, as an ecclesia, as a church, however you want to speak it, for the nation of Israel on a 21-day fast. And it's in a bulletin, I guess. Scott's one that's been heading it up. So thank God for Scott and his faithfulness to, to be on the prayer line with us every morning and to cry on behalf of God's purposes there. And one of the themes today was faith. <clears throat> for me, in my heart, I woke up with this faith and uh, thinking all about faith and praying for the nation of Israel. And I don't understand. Today's, I guess, the 75th birthday of that nation, you know, and... Uh, I asked Pete what it was, what that meant, and he said it's a diamond, diamond celebration. Maybe somebody else could even think about diamonds, you know, what they do. They sparkle, I guess, and represent a covenant maybe on a ring or something like that. Which led me into today also is Mother's Day, and uh, I want to continue that theme of of mothers and uh So this morning, I want to want us to pray and gather over mothers that are hurting, mothers that can't see their children, or mothers that have children that are caught in drugs, or mothers that have a husband that treats them like dirt. I don't know. There's just all kinds of pain and hurts in the hearts of mothers. And uh, we want to pray over that with encouraging words of faith that says in Second Peter or First Peter, these words that for mothers and wives, that if any of you have a mate or a husband that does not obey the word, they may be won over without words by the reverent behavior of their wives. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement. And it takes a lot of faith for ladies, mothers, to believe God. That you can win your children. You can win others by your reverent and chaste behavior. As you believe God, as you trust God. It says that this behavior is an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. These are just such powerful words. For in this way, the holy women of old in the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Wow. Like, like Sarah. Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. <clears throat> and you are her daughters 
if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Wow, precious words. Do not give way to fear. You know, that's where faith comes in. You know, faith is the opposite of fear. And uh, so we who are strong want to stand in Right now, maybe our faith is strong. We want to stand in the gap for those who are weak and struggling and going through things. And I want us to join as a body and pray for mothers today, those who are going through these things, that they might become strong in faith, that they might have this same life that Sarah had who believed God and trusted God. You know, Sarah was put into the king's harem. Can you imagine such a thing? She just went there and, I mean, in obedience to what Abraham said. And, and, and But yet God interceded and said, get that woman out of there. She don't belong there, you know. So uh, God is fully able to deliver her husbands. And... Uh, My wife was going to be with me this morning here. You know, you acknowledge God and you expect a day to go a certain way and then He interrupts you and takes you a different way. Well, so this morning we get a call. My son, whom I love and who was the father of year, put up on the royals thing and all that stuff, he uh, wasn't going to do this, but Anyway, he has four beautiful children and uh, and all that. But things happen in the marriage and his wife got on the internet and chased after a high school lover and left him with four kids. It's really difficult. And he he stood up to the gap and, and loved those children and still loves those children to a really incredible way. Um, and uh, just loves them so well. And he got married to another lady, beautiful lady, you know, beautiful woman of God. And uh, so, but now in marriage, you know, you don't go through a perfect marriage. I mean, who's been married in here? Huh? Is it? I mean, you go through these, you know, these, you get out of the honeymoon stage, right? You get into reality. So my son is out of the honeymoon of wooing this beautiful woman and, but all of a sudden now, you know, he's these hurts, these deep spear that was in him from the violation that happened to him, uh, his first wife leaving him and the children and abandoning him and stuff. These hurts are coming out. Now they're being expressed toward, towards his current wife. I'm just being blunt reality here. And uh, so she called this morning just weeping and crying. And here it is, Mother's Day, you know, and my son just up and takes off said, I'm going to have coffee with somebody else or something. So my wife is with her right now and uh, going to meet her and go to fellowship with her. And so it's really difficult. So, um, th- my son's name is Danny and his wife's name is Megan. So just put your Danny and your Megan and your children and whatever else and maybe somebody could come and, and pray over this. Uh, you know, maybe Scott. I don't know if you'd be interested, Scott. Just praying over families, praying over mothers, praying, you know, praying, praying. You interested? So appreciate you, Scott. So appreciate you. Appreciate you. Father, we're so thankful for our mothers. None of us would be here without our mothers. Dear God. So we are thankful for this day that is set aside to honor 
our mothers, father, and and uh, and just like Rex's son, he he actually was a single parent and performing both mother and father duties for a time period. And so we we just we just look to you, Father, for not only honoring mothers but parents and the struggles. Dear God, we all have um, family members and might even be ourselves that are in a struggle right now, but. In this day of honoring mothers, Lord, we lift them up. We lift them up, dear God, and we pray for you to strengthen them, that you would encourage their hearts. We pray for your tender affections, dear God, for mothers especially. How many of us have uh, just, we recall those, those times as a small child when our mother would tenderly uh, nurse us back to health, when we had an illness or we had a little boo-boo or we came home with, with uh, some bad report from school and, and yet they were there with a glass of milk or some chocolate chip cookies or something that, that encouraged us, help us to pick ourselves back up and, and to move forward. Dear God, mothers, we love them so much. And we uh, just pray for our mothers and our families, our, whether they be our our earthly mother or our spouse, our wives, or our, our daughters or daughter-in-laws. We pray for them, O oh God. We, we honor them this day. We ask you, Father, let them know how special they are to us, how special they are to you, O oh God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless you, moms, and those of you that are also spiritual mothers. Mm-hmm. You're just as important. Amen. Our families have sure taken a beating in our society and our culture. The most important responsibility that humans can have is raising children. But children make their own decisions sometimes. Sometimes they make decisions you don't agree with or brings hurt. And there's no greater parent. I think everybody in this room would probably agree with this. There's no greater parent than God the Father. None. He's the greatest parent, the most perfect parent. And his first two kids made a decision that we're all still living with the consequences of. But none of us would blame God for that. I wouldn't think. Because he warned them, told them what was going to happen, and they made their own choice. So parents, no matter how perfect you are, kids are still going to make their own choices. And you can't make all of them for them. But we can trust God and we can pray with authority and faith over them. Amen that they will return. 
if they've wandered. That they will have a deep koinonia relationship with the Lord. And they would come into that on their own. Anybody else have anything specific from the Lord? You're hearing something? Hearing a word? Because your time's about ran out. When we were worshiping, just finishing that, I heard... The hills are alive with the sound of music. Okay. And then the Lord was saying that our praise and our worship are music to his ears. And then I saw that the air is full of his word, literal words, and it's and they're alive. The air is full of his words. Mm -hmm. And I also saw other things that represented seeds. But it was all like hovering. And it's all around us. We're like in it. There is not any word of God that does not produce what it was set forth to do. And we're in a time period when it's like hovering and it's about to bring the fruit. And I'm, I don't have a bottom line beyond that um, at this time, but I can still see it and I can still feel it. Um, and I know that it's a significant thing, so maybe he'll give you more interpretation mm-hmm. of that. Amen. Thanks, Alita. And we thank you, Father, for every fruit seed planted. That it will grow and it will produce fruit. And we declare that. And we thank you for it. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Good fruit. It will produce good fruit. verse came to me a couple of days ago and it keeps popping up in my head. Isaiah 13:9. See the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold and more rare than gold of a fur. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake for its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in this day of his burning anger. Amen. Amen. 
tail end of that, from Isaiah 56, while he's doing all that to the wicked, preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, my righteousness to be revealed. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to jump into where I left off last week, and this is the third in um, a series of talking about the feast, but specifically Pentecost. And just before I do that, let me just tell you a couple announcements real quick. Saturday, June 3rd, is a celebration of life service for April McCart at noon. I think that's in your bulletin. And also, I think there's um, a handful or two of you that are, have joined with Scott on Zoom every day from 7 to 8 to pray for Israel. And um, if you would still like to join in with that, you can. You can get the link from Scott and, and join in when you can, even if you just want to listen uh, and be, be part of that. So, And happy birthday, Israel. Amen. Amen. And uh, we, as being here in Independence, are connected with that through Harry Truman, our uh, president, Harry Truman, and his friend, Eddie Jacobson. Um, so we're honored to be, be part of that. And our nations are linked together. So if you would turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. There are, just really quick, a very short... Uh, Review. There are seven God appointed feasts, the Bible calls them, in Scripture. There's four spring feasts and there's three fall feasts. The word feast does not mean specifically uh, or only um, a big buffet and a Thanksgiving meal. The word feast literally means a divine appointment that God has. Seven divine appointments for his people to meet with him for a specific purpose. The word uh, also has a meaning of a dress rehearsal. So these feasts, generation after generation, they were um, the, the Jewish people were uh, observing these feasts, these divine appointments, and they were really dress rehearsals. And a dress rehearsal uh, in a play or a movie is, is getting ready for what? The main event. And uh, so they had purpose in them. God was showing the people as long as us, as well as us, what was to come. What's fascinating is uh, how many people were not ready when the main event happened, when Jesus appeared. The four feasts uh, in the spring, the last feast is Pentecost. That's what we're really specifically talking about. The first one is Passover, the second one is uh, unleavened bread, and the third one is first fruits. First fruits, the Passover was Jesus, his sacrifice, unleavened bread, Jesus is the bread of life, and uh, the uh, first fruits is Jesus came out of the grave first, not only, because all those who are in Christ are also going to be raised to newness of life. And then 50 days later, where the word Pentecost came from, 50 days after that, 
was the celebration of Pentecost. Pentecost was originally a celebration of the early summer wheat harvest. Wheat has significance in Scripture, and it was so it was a celebration of the wheat harvest. Um, it, was, it became known as the day that Moses received the law and, uh, and gave it to the Jewish people. Now, there's a point in this that I've been harping on, and we have to understand this. Because it's, it's easy for Christians to kind of think, well, there are certain things that were just Jewish. These feasts are not Jewish feasts. These feasts were God's. We, we look at that scripture in Leviticus where Leviticus told Moses, these are my feasts. These are my divine appointments. Uh, even the calendar, God created the calendar. Sometimes we refer to it as the Hebrew calendar. It's not the Hebrew calendar. It's God's calendar. These are not Hebrew feasts. They're God's feasts. If they're God's feasts, then there are feasts. Not just Jewish feasts. So there are some Jewish traditions. There are Jewish cultural things. There are today some Jewish holidays that are specifically Jewish, just like there's some specific holidays that are American. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things, but we have to understand the ones that God set for his people. And they're important. And they're telling us things to come. And as we looked last week, Pentecost or Passover is was fulfilled. Jesus had that last supper with the with his disciples the night he was arrested and he instituted what the 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 bread and the wine he insti- he he kept really passover it was just done a little differently and then he said this he said i'm not going to drink of it until i drink anew of it in the kingdom so there's even still a further fulfillment of passover that will happen when this is all over okay when we're all all together so I, just a little bit of a, a background there of what we've been talking about. And, and the fulfillment of Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and what Jesus said. And let's, let's look at that. Acts chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 4. Now, this, how about we start with 1? Is that good? Let's just, just do 1. The first account I composed, the Theophilus, about all that... Jesus began to do and teach. Hey, those of you that are young and going to have children eventually, you might consider this, this name Theophilus. That, wouldn't that be a cool name to name, name your child in this day? Um, anyway, verse 2, Until the day when he, Jesus, was taken to heaven, after he, by the Holy Spirit, gave some opinions. No, by the Holy Spirit, he gave orders. Orders. How many of you like receiving orders? And I'm not talking if you're a waiter or a waitress and you receive somebody's order. Being told what to do. Amen. Jesus received orders by the Holy Spirit and he gave them to his disciples and apostles. Whom he had chosen. Verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days. So after the resurrection, Jesus was on earth for 40 days. Then 10 days after he ascended, then the day of Pentecost. So Jesus is walking around on the earth and he is visiting and eating and hanging out with his apostles. And it says later in in Acts, it says that he appeared to over 500 people. 
after his resurrection. And what was he talking about? Speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. It doesn't say he spent those 40 days talking to his apostles, speaking to them things concerning the church. There's one main reason he didn't is because scripturally there's no such thing as church. That was added. Your Bibles might say the word church, but that was added. The word church didn't become a church until the 4th century, 300 years after Christ. There was no such thing as church. Jesus never said he was going to build a church. And that's not what he was talking to him about. He was talking to him about things concerning the kingdom. Huge difference. And the kingdom is what? What is a kingdom? It's the domain of the king. Kingdom. It's what? Governmental. And you don't have a kingdom without a king. You don't have a kingdom without people. You know, when, when, uh, when, when Satan was tempting Jesus and he took Jesus and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, he wasn't just showing him palaces and gold and silver and buildings. He was showing him people. Look at all these people that I have under my control. I don't know about you, that would have been a tough one right there. But Jesus knew the plan. Anyway, I digress. Verse 4, he gathered them together and he commanded. So he had orders and now he's giving a command. He commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait. And as we mentioned last week too, Jerusalem was the hotbed. This is where Jesus was arrested. This is where Jesus was beat. This is where Jesus was crucified. And what did he tell, tell his apostles? I don't want you leaving this place. Sometimes we don't think about some of the details, you know. I don't know. I don't know how I'd have felt if I was there. I'd probably went like, let's leave. <laughs> let's find another place to go. But Jesus says, you wait. You stay right here in Jerusalem. Wait for what the Father had promised. Notice the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father are all combined and spoken about specifically in this passage so far. Which he said, you have heard from me for John baptized with water. Every Christian and even non-Christian knows about water baptism. Matter of fact, you use the word baptism and immediately our minds think of water, water baptism. Because that's what has been taught to us, told us, what we've exercised, what we've seen. And it's very easy when you're reading Scripture because of experience and things you've been taught and things you've been, you know, uh, understood that when you see that word baptism, you immediately assume that it's water. But here's what Jesus is talking about. There's, a, there's two different baptisms, at least two different baptisms, because he said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus in this verse mentions two baptisms. Now let's talk about baptism for a few minutes. For just some understanding. First and foremost, the word baptism itself has no reference to water. 
Zero. When you look up that word, it doesn't reference water when you just say baptism. But isn't it interesting when we think of baptism, that's where our mind goes. Baptism means to be immersed in. And you don't get immersed by getting sprinkled. You know, it's not a sprinkling of Jesus. It's an immersion. So that word means immersion. Sometimes when it will help with understanding if you read and when you come across the word baptism, just like when you come across the word church and you replace it with the actual word ecclesia with the understanding of what that means, it helps. And most of the time when I read and I come across the word baptism, I replace it in my mind with immersion. Being immersed in water. What is water baptism? What does that signify? Yeah, death, burial, resurrection, repentance. It is a natural act, illustration of an inward reality. Now, studying baptism, and I, I highly recommend that you, you do this because it's fascinating. That when you study the word baptism... And it's talking about the baptism into Christ. It will specifically say a few things. For instance, it will, the scripture will specifically say water baptism. Or there's a reference to water in connection with that word. It'll say John's baptism, just like Jesus referred to this baptism. The water baptism as being John's baptism. You remember John the Baptist even said... That he baptized with water, but there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, specifically John and James, when they were arguing, saying, hey, can one sit on the right, one sit on the left? Jesus said, can you undergo the same baptism I'm going to be baptized with? What was he talking about? His death, his crucifixion, and the way he was going to die. And so there's different types of baptism, and it opens up understanding when you just grasp the word it's being immersed in. Immersed in. And so you'll see this word baptism when it's talking about John's baptism, water baptism, or a reference to Jesus, which is all about the new birth. Water baptism is about the new birth. And so you'll see those references, those three main ones, when you're studying the word baptism. But Jesus mentions a whole other baptism. And he talked about it in the Gospels when he was living with Jesus. He talked about being baptized with, in the Holy Spirit or being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And so there's a different baptism. There's many different baptisms. Because baptism means to be immersed in. Now, we, don't, we wouldn't use the word like this, but let's just say you're studying economics. And you've got your economic study book and whatever. You're just all engrossed in that. You could literally say, I am being baptized into economics because you're being immersed. You're immersing yourself into it. We wouldn't use that word that way. But the meaning is there of being immersed into something. So here's what Jesus said. 
wait in Jerusalem. This is an order. It's a command by the Holy Spirit. And what he was saying without saying it is, I do not want you doing any ministry. I don't want you to try to heal anybody, raise somebody from the dead. I don't want you going preaching the gospel. I don't want you to go try to start anything until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to probably say some crazy things that maybe you have or haven't heard before. But because Jesus said this and the way he said it, we should never attempt to do ministry without the baptism of the Holy Spirit in any shape or form. And I'm just paraphrasing what Jesus said. Because we cannot do it on our own strength and our own power. We, are, we already talked about a lot of these things. Matthew 28 says, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. The word he used includes power. Authority and power are not the same thing. You can have authority and lack the power. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And he said, I want you to go. In Matthew 28, he did not say all authority has been given to us in that passage. He didn't even say you have power. What he said is all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now remember, that comment in Matthew 28 was within that 40-day time period after Jesus was resurrected. And so was this one. Within 40 days, he's mentioned Matthew 28 and also Mark 16, which he talked about that you, you would speak with new tongues and you'll cast out demons and, and do works of miracles. But my point being here is authority. You can have because every child of God, when they are born again, receives authority. But it doesn't mean that you have the power that enables you to function within the authority you've been given. And we talked about that, and I gave some illustrations of that in the natural. So Jesus says here, let me read it one more time. John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now let me say one more thing about baptism. That might, if you've never heard this, might make your head go tilt. I'm just going to let you know that in advance. In Matthew 28, Jesus said that he wanted us to go to all nations ethnic groups and make disciples he never said converts he didn't use the word church attenders fill as many buildings and seats as you can no he said to make disciples a disciple is the word means to be a learner and follower of christ one who will conform their life like their master that's what the lord's after not just people that attend church once a week read their bible every once in a while and pray before as they're running out the door to work that, that's not what the Lord's after. Thank God for that. I'm, I'm a, that's okay. But God, what he's after is he's wanting people to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be Christ-like in character. That's where all of us can be like one another in our character. With our different personalities and different gifts and different functions within the kingdom of, of God. So he wants us to be conformed. So he says, I want you to go and make disciples. And then he said this baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, what does the word baptism mean? To be immersed in. I want you to go and immerse people in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't saying, which most of the church does and believes, just go and water baptize people. And many believe that the water baptism is salvation, and it is not. Because you could be saved and never be water baptized. Hello, one of the thieves on the cross. I promise you, you're going to be in paradise with me. But we got to get down from here so you can get water baptized before that happens. No. You don't need to be water baptized to be saved to go to heaven. But to become a disciple, Matthew 28 again, to be fully discipled, you need to be immersed in the Father, immersed in the Son, and immersed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not teaching to water baptize people by saying, which I did for years because that's what I learned, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, he was talking about discipleship. Don't forget the context of Matthew 28. He's talking about discipleship and and making people disciples. And you don't do that by baptizing them once and saying all that over them. You immerse them in the Father, Son. Jesus said most of the body of Christ is immersed in Jesus. We talk all about Jesus. And we should. He's our King. He's our Savior. He's the one that came and bought. He redeemed us. He paid the price. But what did Jesus say? I only came to do the will of the Father. I am the door. To the Father. He also said, it's better, guys, if I leave you so the Holy Spirit can come. It's about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm the door. I am the way. I'm not the end. Father is. It's cut. So it's being immersed in Father, immersed in Son. There's at least those three baptisms. And that's what the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are to function in is helping people to be immersed in the Father, immersed in the Son, and immersed in the Holy Spirit. I was talking to a Baptist pastor friend of mine several years ago, and he happened to be very open to discussing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what that means. And there's a lot of different meanings to that, too. And we want to look at what Scripture says it is. Not what we've heard from our denominational backgrounds. Not from what we thought. Not from our experiences. We want to look at the Scripture. And that's what we're going to do. And I mentioned this the last couple of weeks. I'm going very slow with all of this. Because I'm laying as much of a foundation for this as possible. Because this is one area that the enemy... And ill-informed and misunderstood ministers have worked to destroy. And it is something that gives us the greatest amount of power. Because that's what Jesus said you're going to receive in this passage. He said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. Power to function within your authority. That's my paraphrase. And so this this. This teaching, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, has been given such negative and bad rap on what it is and what it is not. 
So that's why we want to go very, very slow. Is there any questions? Because I know I've said this in the past about these three different baptisms and being immersed in Father, Son, and it makes people's head go tilt. I've had questions before, and you're free to open. Yes, Rudy. The authority? The power? Yeah, and I'm, that's a great question. And, and I want to, we're probably not going to be able, I was planning on getting it to today, but probably not. But I'll mention this and we'll come back and look at it later. Before Jesus went to the cross, was it before? Yeah, I think it was before. Correct me if I'm wrong. Either way, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, let, forget I even said that. Before the day of Pentecost came, Jesus, no, this was after the cross. It was, that's right. Because he appeared in the room to, his, to the, where the disciples were hanging out. And he said, peace be with you. And in that conversation, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Very important. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was told about that later. And th- Remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? I'm not going to believe it unless I see it later. But my point was, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until days later. We'll talk about that. Okay? I read this scripture when we first started this morning, but only four people were here. So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to look at this, and then we'll probably be done today so you can go be with your moms and spoil the heck out of them. For one day and carry it over. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This, what we're going to read, is Jesus' first miracle. And like I said, I read this passage before we started. We'll begin with verse 1. We're not going to take the time to dissect this whole thing because. But there's tons of symbolism here, but I want to point out some things. On the third day, there was a wedding. There's nothing by accident in Scripture. Nothing. Every word in the original text. Every word, every jot, every tittle. Even Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle. We've done away with. Until all is fulfilled. So you know what the third day is? On the third day. Huh? The third day <laughs> every day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. There's seven days of creation. The seventh day is what? The Sabbath. Here's where people really miss the deeper meaning of it. 
The Sabbath is a representation of the thousand-year reign of Christ, where we'll have a thousand years of rest, the fulfillment of Sabbath. But every day of the first six, we're in the sixth, or entering the six thousandth year now of creation. There's tons of third-day references in the Bible, tons of them. Same thing with seven. We are entering a time now where the seventh day being seven thousand years, and the third day being, and Peter's the one that said this in Scripture, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And we're entering a time where the seven day, or the end of the sixth day, or six thousandth year, and the third day, if every, th- every day in the third, like Jesus said, I'll return on the third day, if it was a thousand years, these two time periods are converging. As a matter of fact, Jesus was crucified somewhere around A.D. 30. We're coming upon, I'm not telling you when Christ is coming back. I just know he's coming back. This is just fascinating of the third day, seventh day references. Okay, so 2030, which is in what, just seven years from now, is roughly the time period of when the second day ends of, am I, you following me? If every day is a thousand years, that the third day actually begins because Jesus was crucified around AD 30. Okay, following me on this? Scripture says right here, On the third day, there's a wedding. What's going to happen when this age is over for all of those who are in Christ? There's going to be a wedding feast and a banquet. Okay? So there is future... It it helps to think this way. Because everything is in here on purpose. We miss so much of Scripture when we don't understand some of these references because the Bible's telling us it's history, it's poetic, it's telling us all kinds of things. It tells us what's happened in the past, it, it speaks to our present day reality, and it's also speaking to future events. And God has told us He's not going to leave us unaware. He's going to show us. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job, is to show us things to come. So we're not caught off guard, we're ready and we're prepared. Jesus talked about it all the time when He was on earth. What was to come, what's going to happen. And it didn't happen in the next week sometimes. It happened years later. And some of the things Jesus talked about hasn't happened yet. Just like with these divine appointments, these feasts that God started, the seven ones that I began talking about earlier, the fall, the spring feasts have been fulfilled to a point, but the fall feasts haven't. And what's fascinating about it is when they were fulfilled, they were fulfilled to the day, the hour of the exact day that God initiated them thousands of years earlier. That's how precise He is. The, the, when, when Jesus was being inspected, He went through, I think, seven different trials that night before He was crucified. When he, those were inspections. They were inspecting the Lamb. When Jesus was being inspected or going through these trials, the, the, high, the priests were inspecting the Passover Lamb. When Jesus was crucified, it was the same hour the high priest was crucifying just a few blocks over the sacrificial lamb for the Passover. It was happening at the exact moment. That's how precise God is. And when He speaks things in the Scripture and He shows us things, they're not by accident. They're not for our entertainment. 
We cannot understand the New Testament without having at least some understanding of the Old. And though I like the way Dale says it, it's the first covenant. We're under the second covenant. When we say old, it's like it's all passed away. No, it's not all passed away. We have the same God, and we have to have at least some understanding. I wish I had more. I wish, we have to have, that's our basis and our foundation. Glory. Jesus' first miracle. On the third day, there's a wedding. We can just stop with that and have a party. In Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Maybe it was Mother's Day. I don't know. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't Mother's Day. Every day is Mom's Day. Mom's. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And I love Jesus' response. He said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Which is interesting. Like, whose wedding is this? Does she have authority to speak to the servants? It's just interesting. We'll move on. Verse 6. Now there were six. We just talked about days, years. There were six stone water pots there. We've got a third day reference and a sixth day reference. Six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. It's a lot of water. It could have been 180 gallons if it were all of them filled to 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. What did God say when it was prophesied about the second covenant? I'm going to remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. There were six stone water pots. Lots of water reference, too, in Scripture. Baptism in water being one of them. Sometimes waters or many waters is a sound, it's a voice, or a reference to people. But water is also a reference to the Word. The Word of God, the Scripture. And Jesus said, I am the Word. He's the Word. The Word of God became life and He lived among us. And I believe this miracle that Jesus was doing was not just so the party goers, the wedding goers could have some good wine. It's prophetically speaking about his ministry and what he was doing and about to do. Because Jesus is the water and he said, fill or the water of the word. And he said, fill these stone pots. 
What does the Lord want us? He wants stone-hearted people be having a heart of flesh, being full of the water of the Word. He says, fill them up. They filled them up. What did he say? He said, now dip some out and take to the head waiter. And let's look what the head waiter says. Draw some out. This is verse 8. And take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had been turned into wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn it out, they knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the best wine. Until now. This was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. So what is this representing? Besides the three and six day references there. People having stony hearts. Being full of Christ Jesus and his word. But. They needed something else. They needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the reference of the wine, which is the mixing of the water and the wine, and which is the best. You save the best for last. And Jesus said, guys, look, it's better if I leave. I've given you, and I'm going to paraphrase this. He did not say this. I've given you the word. He even told God, right, when he prayed, he goes, I, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I gave him everything that you wanted me to give him. I taught him everything you wanted me to teach him. I've, I've, I've completed my course. Now it's time for me to leave, and it's time for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them. And that was his first miracle with the stone pots filled with water, filled with the Word, but it was mixing with the Spirit. We have to have the Word and the Spirit, both. Not one or the other. Both of them to function in the authority and the power that God has given us on the earth. Amen. Amen. I'll let you chew on some of that. I said I was going to close with that. How about I close with this? John 20. Because I already referenced it. Let me just. It's John 20. Verse 22. Verse 19. You know, it's just before 22. So it's close. It's close. When it was evening on the first day, the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Not Saturday. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you put yourself in that room and all of a sudden Jesus appears and he's still got the holes? He's alive, walking around, talking to you. Man, the disciples rejoiced when they saw it. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, the father has sent me. I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And when he breathed on them, what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Oh, that sounds like authority. Oh, that sounds like ecclesia. Oh, that sounds like Matthew 18. When Jesus breathed on them, it doesn't say in them. It says on them. It's similar, but not the exact, as when God breathed into Adam. Adam was nothing but a dirt bag. Made of dirt, lifeless, until God breathed in him. What was in God went into him. His DNA, his likeness, his life went into Adam, and Adam became a living being. Jesus, in this room, he comes in, he shows himself, he speaks to them, and he says, the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Remember, Matthew 28 says, I want you to go, all authority has been given to me. Now he says, I want you to be sent out just like the Father sent me. Jesus was sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when he was water baptized, he came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. So at the time of Jesus' water baptism, he was also baptized in the Holy Spirit. These guys hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though they went out in his authority when the 70 went out, when the 12 went out while Jesus was alive. It says Jesus gave him authority to do signs, miracles, and wonders. But now, since at post-resurrection, everything has changed now, and he breathes on them and he says, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the most important, and we'll look at this in more detail next week, perhaps. Thomas wasn't there, like I said earlier. There's a disciple missing. Actually, there's two because one had committed suicide. And Thomas wasn't there. But you go to Acts chapter 2 when they're all in the upper room, Thomas is there. What's my point? He breathes on them, but did they receive the Holy Spirit then? Or did they receive the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost? Was Jesus giving them something different then? And something different at Pentecost? Think about it. Let's talk about it next week. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Again, Lord, thank you for mothers. We thank you for your divine plan. That you created man, mankind in Adam. You put him to sleep. And you pulled out. Lord, we just have to admit, Lord, you you took a lot out of the man. You took more from us than a rib. And we're so grateful that it was your plan to have two sexes. Not as many as they say today, but just two. Thank you, Lord, male and female. That when they come together in unity, in a union, that we typify our individual relationship with you. And that you have given us creative power within even our bodies to reproduce. Thank you for that, Father. That you have created mothers, you've created females to be able to carry, be impregnated and carry, Father. Not only, uh, Father, naturally, but in the Spirit. And to give birth. Thank you, Father, so much for that. Lord, I pray for each person here for health that they would walk in victory and in prosperity in every way, that they would be healed whole and complete from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. That, Father, that they would learn more and more about their authority and the power that you have given them. But most importantly, above all things, Father, I pray that every one of us would come into a deep koinonia with you.
For that is what you created us for, for that relationship with you. To know you, to be known by you, to commune with you, to have fellowship with you. Thank you for that wonderful miracle. We bless you. May everything that we say and everything we do bring honor to you, bring glory to you, and make your name great. Father, send the Holy Spirit once again to our nation. May the wind of the Spirit of God blow across this great nation. You're the one that gave birth to it. You're the one that gave us our freedoms and our liberties. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from the government. You gave our freedoms and liberties to us. And therefore, we are confident that you will empower us to defend them and protect them. That Those were your gifts. So, Father, I ask for your wisdom and your insight and your strategy to do just that. Father, would you remove every evil worker, every worker of iniquity from our government offices and from pulpits across this land? And Father, would you instill those that have a heart for you that are bold and courageous, that are not, uh, they, they do not love their life when faced with death and would continue to speak and stand for your truth. And give the testimony of Christ because of the blood that was spilled to defeat the enemy. Glory be to God. Amen, amen. Bless each one of you. Have a beautiful day, a wonderful day. Enjoy life. Have a really good life until I see you next time.